Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. May God bless the hearing of his word. Good morning. You know how last week I said I spent a lot of time in the children's section of the library? Well, I was there again this week. Um, when I read the scripture, the first thing that popped into my head was that wonderful little children's song. Five little ducks went out to play over the hill and far away. Mother duck said, quack, 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 quack. But only four little ducks came back. So they had this beautiful book at the library. And it's uh, perfect for today. Um, the, uh, the song goes on for several more verses. And in each verse, one less duck comes back. Uh, this has beautiful illustrations in it. So. Uh, but there's a lot of dangers out there in the world, a lot of things that can uh, lure those ducks away. And each time, one less duck comes back. And the mother continues to quack for them. And it made me think about how many times God has sent us out from the Garden of Eden. What did Adam and Eve do? They went away. God called them back and they, they were gone. Then we had the flood. God tried to wipe it all out to start over. And then we had the Ten Commandments. And that didn't do any good either because we still weren't following directions. And we weren't coming back. And the prophets and all that. And finally Jesus. And they're still, Jesus is still calling even though no one's coming back. Quack, 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 quack. I love you, I love you. But finally, someday, all of the ducks will come back. And that's what Jesus was crying about in our scripture. He's saying, I want you to come back. I want to protect you from all those terrible things out there. I created you. I love you. You're mine. Come. Let me protect you. Quack, 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 quack. I love you. I love you. I want you with me. And we're, oh, I'm too busy. I have to do that. I'm not sure I believe that. Some of those things in the Bible are a little weird. How could it possibly be? 
And through it all, just like that mother duck, no matter how few come back, he's still calling us. Come back. Come back. I love you. I want you with me. I want to protect you. You are mine, my beloved. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you love us, even when we stray. We thank you that you continue to call us back to you. We know that you love us. But sometimes we're just distracted by the many things that this world offers. And we forget how much you love us. So continue to call us back. Continue to remind us how much you love us, how much you died to save us. You shed your own blood to protect us. So we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for your constant love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, please be with my mouth, with my words. Please be with our ears, with our hearts. Help us to receive from you what you want for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So while we were getting ready for church today, Paul said, so we're not doing a parable today? <laughs> okay, so um, question, do you think that the passage that, we, that Paul read for us this morning is a parable or not? Ron says no. I knew you were going to say no, Ron. Yes, definitely a metaphor. So I, I will agree, it's, it's a little bit of a stretch to call this a parable, um, but mostly the only reason it's a stretch is because Jesus is, in this, at least if we're talking about parables of Jesus, when Jesus tells a parable, it's usually in a teaching moment. And there's a conversation going on, and he'll say, the kingdom of God is like, or... Um, you know, like last week with the Good Samaritan, the man asked, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus told a story in response to that. So Jesus was teaching. However, on every other rubric, this actually works as a parable if we're talking about the types of parables that Jesus told. A parable doesn't have to be long. Um, just... In the same chapter of Luke, just a couple verses before, he tells the parable of the mustard seed, and he tells the parable of the yeast. And that's like a sentence. <laughs> the parable, the, uh, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is really tiny, and you put it in the ground, and it grows this big tree or bush, and the birds nest in the branches. That's the whole parable. So it doesn't need to be long. Um, it does need to have a plot. This metaphor that Jesus uses about the mother hen. Here's the, here's the plot. Mother hen wants to protect her chicks, and they won't let her. Um, also, a parable usually is a story about a mundane, everyday type situation that has an underlying heavenly meaning to it. And this story has that. Um, it also usually includes the people that are either listening or reading and in the, in the story, and also um, Jesus. And so who's Jesus in this little metaphor that he's telling? 
the mother hen, right? And the readers or the listeners are the chicks, right? Um, so I think it's not too much of a stretch to call this a parable. The reason I actually decided to um, preach and teach on this one is because earlier this year I was in my devotions, I was reading through the Gospel of Luke in preparation for this series, and um, I was also reading N.T. Wright's commentary on it, and for some reason the way he wrote about this passage was so compelling to me that I was like, oh man, it could, because it just encapsulates the Gospel so tightly in this tiny little tiny little story. Um, and so I wanted to teach on it, and then it turned out that it was going to fall on Mother's Day, and I was like, well, now we have to. Um, <laughs> so you know I don't normally teach or preach to secular holidays, but um, I mean, why fight it if it just lands, right? Um, guess what we're going to talk about on Father's Day? No. <laughs> The prodigal son. So, anyway. Um, okay, so because this, I do think this is pretty much a parable, um, but it, because it comes in a different form, it's, it blends a little bit more with its frame story than the Good Samaritan blended with its frame story. Because Jesus actually expresses this parable as an emotional outburst. This is the, honestly the most heartfelt um, of his parables, I think, if we're going to call it a parable. But here's, so here's what's happening. Um, this is going to combine the, the frame story and the parable. Some Pharisees come to Jesus. Jesus is in Galilee. He's been teaching. He's been talking about the kingdom of God. And um, we know that the Pharisees usually, and Jesus were usually kind of butting heads on stuff, but it seems like... In this case, these Pharisees might have been the type that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were because they're, they're warning him. They're saying, you got to get out of here because Herod, who's the kind of localized king of that region in Galilee, um, Herod is out to get you. Herod has already beheaded Jesus' cousin, and so this isn't an idle threat. They're trying to warn him to go somewhere else. And Jesus answers in this weird kind of cryptic way. He says, I have to do what I'm doing, heal people and cast out demons and teach today and tomorrow, and on the third day I'll reach my goal. Well, he doesn't literally just do things for two days and then immediately go to Jerusalem and get crucified. So, um, so he's not talking about literal days, but... He is hinting at something. What's he hinting at? Okay, the resurrection, but also the crucifixion. Yeah, he's basically saying, Herod's not going to stop me. Herod's not the problem here. I am going to die. I am going to reach my goal on the third day, which is at the proper time. Um, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing until that point, and then I'm not going to die here in Galilee. I'm going to die in Jerusalem like all the other prophets. And then it's like he's thinking about this, and he's thinking about what's coming, and 
then we get this emotional outburst parable. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. This isn't like, I think sometimes we read the Bible and we read the words of Jesus and we just think that he kind of says them all in the same tone. There's no emotion behind them or anything. It did make this a really extra weird sentence. <laughs> like he's talking to a city and, and he's rambling on about a hen and her chicks. There's something really deep-seated going on for Jesus. So, Let's take a step back for a second. Um, there is a challenge every time we look at actually any passage in the Bible, but in a specific way, there's a challenge with parables. Because first of all, Jesus tells parables to challenge people. There's always a challenge. But also, because we are in 21st century America, and Jesus and the people he was talking to were mostly Jews in first century Middle East, Israel, or Judea, the Roman Empire, um, the, the ways that we hear and read scripture are going to be different. And so what we find strange or challenging or concerning about this passage might be different from what the Pharisees find strange or challenging or concerning. So there's a couple ways that the Pharisees might have found this a little bit off-putting. Um, first of all, it kind of seems like he's blowing off their concern. It, it sounds like they're genuinely concerned for him, and he's just like, yeah, whatever, Herod, go tell that fox to go somewhere else. Um, and so that might be a little weird, but maybe they could let that slide. But then he says he's going to Jerusalem to die like all the other prophets. That's a little bit of a dig um, because he has, in other places, sort of said, you Pharisees and other Jewish religious people, you're the descendants of these people that killed the prophets. So he's kind of implying there's, you know, and also, the people of God, the chosen people of God, are still not going to do right by God's prophets. Um, so that sounds a little bit more uh, bothersome, maybe. But he's also implying that the nation is in danger. Well, the nation's been in danger before, and currently they're not free. And they are hoping for a Messiah who, who is going to liberate them. And so... Jesus doesn't seem to be indicating that, that, that that's his plan. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem to complete my goal, which is to be killed like the other prophets. So this is a little bit concerning, probably for the Pharisees. But I have a question. Is there anything in this parable, besides whether or not it's really a parable, that strikes you as weird or uncomfortable or...
that's true. That's a good point. So Lorna is intrigued by the fact that Jesus basically calls Herod a name in this passage. He calls him a fox, and we're going to get to that. Anything else? Does anybody find it strange that Jesus is comparing himself to a mother hen? No? Okay, well, I'm going to be honest. What? Go ahead, Barbara. Well, that's, well, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another place we could go. Um, I think he's, so Jesus compares himself to a prophet. He's more than a prophet, but he's not less than a prophet. And he and and by saying and by saying comparing himself or aligning himself with the prophets, he's um, yes, he's saying that the, his words are because they don't know he's the son of God. So his words are as, on the same level as those of the prophets, in that they are authoritative and they're from God directly. And he's going to be treated just the way those people were. So I don't think that's. That probably was also concerning for the Pharisees, but um, maybe not in the same way. I think, so I'm going to be honest, when I first read this passage, and for years, I thought, this is really weird. I, I don't know how to think, I don't know how to feel about Jesus comparing himself to a mother hen. So we are going to sidetrack a little bit here. I want to be clear that... This passage is not about um, women's issues or gender issues. That's not what it's about. It's about the gospel, and it's about salvation. The gender issues and the women's issues that we're dealing with these days are 21st century issues. But when we start thinking about 21st century issues when we're reading a passage of scripture, and maybe I'm the only one who did that, but I definitely did. Um, sometimes that means we need to pause and we need to ask why is it like, why does it say this? And then we need to not just try to come up with our own interpretation, but actually dig into scripture further to see what light it can shed on our 21st century issues. Here's the thing. If we we, get, we come to church once a week, and maybe some of us read the Bible regularly, but I bet not all of us do. We should be. Um, but we get input from all kinds of places besides here and even the Bible, even if we are reading the Bible every day, right? And um, some of the input we, is very easy for us to tell this is not of God. And I think this isn't true across the board in this congregation, but I think it is the majority. We would be able to tell if something from the world is being fed to us, we would say, no, 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 that's not, wrong. That's not right. That's not scriptural. But there are places in churches where teachings have come up that sound scriptural, but they're not really. And so we need to be careful of those things. And I want to, and I want to say this because I know, I know, I know, I know, there's going to be people here who are going to come to me afterwards and say, why are you talking about this, these social things in the church? It's because we need to know
know our Bibles, the Word of God, so well that we can think about those social issues in a godly way. And I spent all week trying to not write this sermon <laughs> that I'm preaching. Um, I did not want to talk about this stuff. It's not comfortable, but I, there are people from here who have asked me to talk about women in the Bible and women in the church. Um, so it's not just a concern out there. And let's be frank. We have an elephant in the room, which is a woman pastor in the pulpit. <laughs> um, if we say that we are a church that takes the Bible seriously, we better know why, scripturally, we can have a woman in the pulpit. So we're not going to answer that question today, but we are going to talk about this a few more times this year because I think it's really important to not just say, well, uh, she loves Jesus and I guess we don't know, but it seems to be okay. Like we need to, we need to know why. So um, because, <laughs> so here's a, some guy named Virgil Walker of Omaha tweeted yesterday, if your pastor is a woman, she's not a pastor. She's a feminist who ignores scripture. I've had people say that to me on the internet directly. So, is that true? It could be. Not necessarily. Right. So, we need to, like, face these issues, even if the scripture passage itself is, if the big picture of the scripture passage is about something else, we need to, when it tweaks something that's relevant to our time period, we need to actually look at it. So, today, the way that I am choosing to honor women and Mother's Day is by not ignoring scripture. <laughs> I am only a reluctant feminist because I don't really care about those types of labels. The only thing I care about is being faithful to Jesus Christ through his word. But I think there's been a lot of stuff that's gotten overlaid over God's word that has made it hard for us to see the truths about, um, about women and about other races. And so Today we're going to talk a little bit about femininity, womanhood, motherhood, and the character of God. So, mostly in scripture, the Bible describes God in male terms. God is our father, Jesus is our brother, or, or God is the husband, um, and the church, or Israel is the bride, and... So the pronouns that we use for God are he. And I have said to the ad admin board here, and I stand by this, you're not going to catch me calling God she here. Because I think the Bible is really intentional about um, primarily describing God in male terms. And I think there are reasons for that, and we can talk about that some other day. But... We also need to understand and be aware, because our English translations usually do not reflect this, that the Bible in both testaments 
also sometimes describes God in feminine terms. It is really important for us to know this because one of the things that has gotten taught in churches recently is that women are not created as much in the image of God as men. And um, it's also important for us to know this because I think one reason God um, often chooses to be known in male terms is because there are a lot of relationships with fathers that are bad, and God would like to show us what a good father is supposed to look like. But I also think that sometimes relationships with fathers are bad enough that some of us need to know that God has motherly qualities also. Because we can't, until we can connect with the fatherness of God, we can't connect with God at all um, without that. And there are churches that are teaching false things about women in relationship to God and what women can do as far as bringing the kingdom of God through the gospel. This church is different from a lot of churches I'm aware of, both progressive churches and conservative churches. I think we have really well-rounded, godly men in this church. And so I would like to thank you all for that, what I've seen. Um, but there are a lot of churches with some really abusive men who try to promote this is how biblical manhood looks. And frankly, the Bible doesn't support that. When we know that the Bible talks about God mostly in masculine terms, but also in feminine terms, it gives us a fuller knowledge of God, a fuller appreciation of who God is, God is bigger than those categories. God created humans, male and female, but God is not male or female in the way that you and I are one of those two things. And because God is bigger than those categories, it makes Genesis 1 make so much more sense when it says God made humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, him in a neutral term, male and female, he created them. Both male and female are equally created in the image of God. So Jesus came as a man, for sure. But God as a whole is more than these categories, and apparently Jesus doesn't really care if he associates himself with some traditionally thought of as feminine characteristics. He is unashamedly identifying himself with these traditionally feminine traits, apparently, but not identifying himself as female. Compassion, the compassion of God in Hebrew is related, that word for compassion in Hebrew is related to the term womb. So that trait is thought of biblically as a feminine trait, but it is also the core of who God is. So both traditionally masculine traits and traditionally feminine traits can be godly traits, and that is the point. 
if, as followers of Jesus, our goal is to become like Jesus, we had better be working on taking on his character, his whole human character, forget which gender it's traditionally associated with. And so, why did Jesus pick a mother hen to compare himself to? Yes. She will die for her chicks. It's really interesting, this parable is an emotional outburst. It's not like he thought this through, really, the same way that he would, th he would think through the Good Samaritan or the mustard seed. Or He's just like so longing to save the lives of his people that that's the first thing that comes to mind. He is aware of the dangers. Like a mother hen. Mother hens do this by instinct. But they but he's obviously personifying it. He's he sees the danger. He's able to say, well, there's this fox, Herod the fox danger. But there's this other danger. This, is, this one I am not worried about because I'm looking at this one. He's not panicking. He's not trying to save himself. He's not running from the danger. His only thought is for the protection of the chicks. This requires insight and courage and fierce self-sacrifice and the longing for the children or the chicks to live. So the Pharisees are saying, Herod wants to kill you. Jesus is saying, the fox is not the problem in this hen house. The whole farmyard is about to burn down. Why does a mother hen cover her chicks? From what? The elements? Danger? Okay, so remember last year when we were going through the Gospel of Matthew um, and we looked at some of Jesus' warnings and a lot of times we listen to, we read those warnings and we think they're about the end of the world and they might have some implications to that, but we said there was actually a destruction of Jerusalem that happened in A.D. 70, which is after Jesus, but not a lot after Jesus. And a lot of his teachings and warnings are actually referring first and foremost to that. And so in this passage, he's hinting at his own death, and then he's also hinting at what's going to happen to Jerusalem itself. And what happens to Jerusalem in AD 70 is complete destruction. The temple's destroyed. There still isn't one to this day because of what happens in AD 70. Um, and so people got killed, and... Um, the buildings were destroyed, and it's like a fire just took everything out. And so N.T. Wright says about this passage, though the word fire does not occur in this passage, the powerful image Jesus uses here has it in mind. This isn't some, we don't, you know, chickens are not mammals. They, we don't know, I don't know anything about chicken psychology, but I don't think they're just like, oh, come on, little chickie, let me cuddle with you. 
This isn't a sweet little cuddly image here. This is, what's that? <laughs> lunch? Well, she, yeah, this chicken's about to become lunch. <laughs> um, so the, it's not like Jesus is like, oh, I wish my children would come here and give me a hug, but they won't. This is the only way for my children to be protected from what's coming is for them to get over here. This mama, Ken, is putting her life on the line for the sake of her chicks. We know stories about chickens that have covered, or other types of birds, that have covered over their babies with their wings, and they get burnt up, but the babies make it. This is the picture that Jesus is giving here. So Herod the fox is a predator who would love to go after these little chicks but he's going to be no match for the fire either when it comes. That's going to also be a problem for him. So Mother Hen is not going to run for her life when the chicks are in danger. And she's also not going to be able to drag them out with her. So the only way to save them is to sacrifice her life for them. So Jesus is basically saying to the Pharisees, Herod wants to kill me. I'm going to die anyway, but not at his hand. I am heading out of Galilee toward Jerusalem, but not because of the fox, but because that's where prophets go to be killed. That's my destiny. I am heading toward a fire, not just my own death, but one that is going to devastate all the people of Jerusalem. And I wish they would hear me and find me and come to me so I could gather them to me and protect them. Jesus' own people aren't listening to him they're not turning to him. They're expecting the Messiah to fight for them, but he, but he, their actual Messiah, knows that fighting is not how this is going to work. Which we might say is the more traditionally masculine way of approaching this particular thing. The feminine way is better here. He is not going to fight. That will never work. The only way for them to be saved is for them to turn to him for shelter, for him to lay down his life for them. That is how it's been ever since there was a chosen people. Ever since God chose Abraham, this has been the way. Jesus is going to die one way or the other, whether the people come to him or not. The question is whether people will take shelter with him. So he says, on the third day I shall be perfected. That's the way it says it in the New King James Version or in the NIV, which we read. The third day I will reach my goal. Sometimes we have a really hard time connecting with the idea that Jesus died to save us from our sins. Huh? How is Jesus' death? What? I, huh? I mean, we can... We can come up with all these great theological explanations, and you can go to seminary and learn all kinds of different ways that this works. And here we have a, an emotional outburst that basically just like explains the whole thing. Jesus is comparing himself to a mother hen who will cover her chicks and die in the fire 
and that's how they're saved. The situation in Jerusalem that ended up in its destruction in AD 70 was ultimately a result of our sinful world. And guess what? We still live in a sinful world. And this world is too far gone for sin not to destroy it. One way or another, sin is going to destroy this place. But Jesus Christ, the perfect son of the Father, entered the sin-infested world that was and is still destroying itself. The only way for the mother hen to save her chicks is if they run to her, shelter under her wings, and she dies in place of them. The only way for us to be saved from the fire that we set, because we've all been involved, there's that song, we didn't start the fire, but we did. (laughs) We did. And the only way for us to be saved from that fire is to run to Jesus, who died in our place. He died for us, whether we run to him or not. But the only way that his death will save us is if we are sheltered under his wings. And so, that's the question. Will you shelter under his wings? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your motherly love (laughs) and your fatherly love. But today we really are just so grateful for your great compassion your fierce self-sacrifice that would lay your life down so that we could be saved. Help us to hide and shelter under your wings. And thank you that you return to life and you give us new life. We ask that you will help us live it this week. In Jesus' name, amen.